0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This week on The Mike Wise Show, we have one of the best NBA journalists in the country joining us. He's a keen observer of the sport and an all around smart guy, and he's ready to check in. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Voops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thanks, Darlene. It's good to be back. Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, for holding it down last week while I was off the grid and with my family in an undisclosed location on vacation. Okay, it was just Deep Creek, Maryland. I hope all of you have remained vigilant in battling the COVID-19 pandemic and your family and friends are all healthy and safe, but I'm back and ready to talk hoops again with one of my best friends in the business. This week's guest, a repeat offender, having been my guest in February, shortly after the death of Kobe Bryant. He's Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, who also hosts his own podcast called The Full 48, which I try to listen to every two weeks and catch up. Welcome back to the show, Howard.
0: What's happening, wise man? Um, you should be listening more than every two weeks because I try to record at least two per week. But if you're falling behind, it's understandable. There's a lot out there. I get it. Well, no, I like I catch up every two weeks. Oh, okay. I, I, you, I, I bin, to you binge to two me two or three. You are you just a binge. You just like spend two three solid hours listening to my podcast. That's great.
1: Yeah, you're my Breaking Bad, <laughs> basically. Yeah, that, that's what that's what it amounts to. Um, uh, first of all, you know, I. I been very personal on this show I have no bones about it I like most of my guests that I bring on if I don't uh, I get into it with them either way I, personally how are you and your family
0: uh we're good thank you um you know have yeah. been holding it down in Brooklyn ever since the the lockdown started back in March um got out for a little bit went upstate to rent out a country house for a few weeks just to yeah. kind of get our heads clear and change the scenery and all that stuff but uh back safely ensconced here in uh, in carroll gardens brooklyn and um yeah it's it's been good everybody's healthy everybody's uh, mostly keeping our sanity despite uh, you know the uh, all the weirdness of the last several months but but we're good thanks
1: what do you um you're from what i gather you're not going to go down to the bubble but you've been covering everything fairly well from uh from your apartment in brooklyn or your house in brooklyn like everybody has basically Um, Is there any need for you to even go down there?
0: So there are 10 print reporters who are in the bubble and who went in uh, at the same time with the way the NBA set it up. They had to commit to a certain amount of time down there. So 10 print reporters went in and there's another like 10 that are the network folks. So uh, the ESPN, Turner, sideline reporters, all that. So there weren't that many slots. And to me, as somebody who covers the league on a national basis, not on a team basis, you know, the the question for me was, what would I get there that would be unique or important enough? And, you know, I don't cover games per se, right? Bleacher Report, we don't, until the finals, I'm not really plugging into games. Games are there to help generate the ideas that I have for trend stories and features and and, and these other aspects of of covering the league. I would love to be there because of the, you know, if, if it meant access to get, podcast guests and yeah. to get one-on-one interviews that are really key to, to telling a unique story the problem as i saw it back when the nba first set this up was there aren't that many slots i don't want to be taking one when there are people who like actually cover the lakers a team that's supposed to go all the way those people need to be there people who are covering you know the, the bucks or the raptors or whoever like there are beat writers around this country who are, are, are covering teams in specific markets that ex, that really do need that daily access for their coverage. So one, I didn't really necessarily want to take a slot, but two, it didn't seem to me that the way the NBA was going to set it up, at least as it was described uh, before all this uh, unfolded, it didn't sound like there was going to be enough access because reporters while in the bubble and while being tested daily and presumably not a threat, yeah. <laughs> as I understood it, were the, the only access was going to be post-game press conference or maybe after practice and then on the campus itself, keep a distance. You can't go near anyone. You can't just go hang out in a, in a, in a hotel lobby bar shooting the shit with a scout or a GM or whatever. And I thought, well, if there's no ability to have that casual conversation and just serendipitous run-ins with people and, and, and side conversations, all the things that make for good reporting, then it's not worth doing. I say all that, and I tell you this now on, here on August 13th, the access has been much looser and much, and much more productive. According to my friends who were in the bubble, then I think the NBA originally the NBA originally laid out like a very very restrictive routine for the reporters. Um, it has been well, better than anybody anticipated. I still would not have gone down because I didn't want to spend that much time away from family. Well,
1: uh, th- that's where I was going to go. That's where exactly you yeah. you 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 just segued me into exactly where I think there's going to be problems with this. And look, I, I you know I I think that. Adam Silver and the NBA, they keep releasing these results of no positive tests as if they're Iceland and South Korea at this point. And I think it's great because uh, obviously um, other sports, major revenue North American sports are having problems. And, and they, you know, whether, whether you think that they're actually in this bubble and they have no idea what's happening outside or not, the bottom line was this was the only way they could do it safely. I wouldn't have, unless I was, unless I just needed a job to for for, for you know just to pay my mortgage tomorrow. Um, I I just feel like I wouldn't have gone even if I would even if I would have got that access. And every and everybody knows, like by the time you're hanging out with those guys, it's like being in training camp in Hawaii with the Lakers years ago. You you're you're hanging out with guys in the hotel that you would never see otherwise. Um, and, and they all of a sudden get to know you as not the guy that just badgers them in the locker room or at the media podium, but a person who's just a genuine guy doing his job. So I would love that. I would love to have those relationships, especially with the younger players who I don't really know or connect with anymore. But to be away from your family that long, to me, it's it, that this is the one problem I think that the NBA is going to run into. You're asking already, I think, um, uh, who was it last night I heard uh, Mike Malone had been away from his family for something like 87 days. Is that correct?
0: I don't think it's been quite that long yet. Teams went in the like the first week of July. So it's been, you know, it's, it's been a good six weeks for these guys. Maybe it was 27. Don't ever let the the facts get in the way of my half baked opinions. Okay. that
1: That's hurtful. Um, the, no, but I, he, whatever the long, the time frame was, he was just you, know, you could tell he was just he was apoplectic about it and i think a lot of these players like you have to give up a lot to to essentially play in this bubble in this league you have your your wife's not coming in with you your your kids aren't coming in with you is that is that correct i mean there's no
0: after the first round of playoffs the teams that are still there uh will be allowed to bring in a certain small number of family members and And that's great, Um, but that is still weeks away, right? We are just now wrapping up the seeding round, the the, the regular season games effectively. The playoffs begin in earnest on Monday. We're going to have play-in games this weekend. Playoffs start on Monday. So first round, best of seven, week and a half to two weeks, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then then some family members can come in. And by that time, these guys will have been there for, you know, whatever, six to eight weeks. And – that's a long time. And, you know, I, I, I hate the snark or the, the callousness that I sometimes see from fans who say, well, these guys, they make millions and so what? So they got to go locked down for a little while. They'll be blah, blah. Listen, it, do, it doesn't matter how much money you make, how much fame you have, how great it is to play basketball for a living. All those things are wonderful. And yes, they, they live really nice lives um, doing what they do, but they're still human beings and being away from family for that long for anybody is tough. And it doesn't matter how many, you know, uh, fish they, th- they stock the pond with um, so that they can fish on their off days. It doesn't oh, matter. Oh, no. I,
1: I could see myself being into that. Like, I, I, might, mean, listen, leave my, I li- might leave my family for a huge bass.
0: It all looks like a wonderful summer camp experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, play cornhole, uh, right. you know, go golfing, um, go fishing. Like, uh, yeah, there's all these wonderful things. And plus, there's a bunch of NBA players who are friends with each other, even, you know, obviously across the, the you know, different teams. That's all fine. It doesn't change the fact that you have separated from your family and cannot leave this, this small amount of acreage no. to do anything or go anywhere. It, it, it is, it, you know, it, there is still a strain. And I think any psychologist would tell you, this is not uh, something that you would willingly do no matter how many ways you try to make it a little bit more palatable or enjoyable. So this is, and again, this is not to say you should all feel sorry for these guys. I'm just telling, I'm just saying, don't yeah. be callous about it. People like it, they, no, they, they everybody like doesn't
1: matter whether you're, if like you have you
0: kids, said. anybody out there who has kids, Yeah. if you had to be separated from your kids for a month for two months, for however long, you know like that, that, would, that would hurt. That would be really, really difficult, very stressful. And some of them are starting to talk about it. So, Mike, just to wrap up this thought, I do think that as we get you know, into the playoffs here in, in the next few days um, and guys are already starting to talk about it a little bit more, like it's starting to become, I don't want to say an issue, but it's more of a talking point now than it was a few weeks ago when it was all just fun and games and new. And how this Go is going to affect guys and their moods and how that affects then the basketball um, th- like, these are all the variables of the bubble that we do not know yet and how this will play out. When we see some crazy upset in the playoffs, maybe it's because in part of the just the, the, the mental strain and just not yeah. feeling right.
1: Well, Dave Wall was on the uh, podcast two weeks ago, and he was just great. And, um, you know, I, I sort of said, like, you know, my my thought was, why can't sports stand down because – the world is an asterisk for 2020, why doesn't sports get, you know, have its, you know, have its rightful place. And he, you know, he, he kind of agreed with that part of it, but he also said, you know, yeah, whoever gets an asterisk on their, you know, this isn't like a lockout season. What, what is going to be accomplished by the NBA champion this year should go down as one of the greatest accomplishments in league history. And he made some pretty compelling points for it, and I think you just did with the family aspect. I think, well, I'm not working full time for a print publication now, other than doing a couple op-eds for the Washington Post, and and I think that um, I'm giving you right now, you can take this. That you do the you do the mental health story. You get some real, you know, I bet you some of those guys that you have numbers of right now in their hotel rooms would talk to you about. Uh, shoot, I know, Garrett Temple would, uh, he, the, 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 strain and the, you know, what it does to you. I just think that, you know, this is a league that prides itself on being more progressive than any. I think, you know, I'm not saying bring psychologists and, and psychiatrists into the bubble to deal with the players. Oh, I think but they I have. Do. Oh, they have. Okay. No, no, so I'm look, not, I'm not, I didn't I even know that that would be, that's a great story. I don't. I don't know. That's. I'm breaking. A fact, but believe, I'm breaking
0: that today. If you don't, I believe. I believe the NBA had, had made some considerations or arrangements for that ahead of time. But I, I can't. I can't say that definitively.
1: Well, like I wouldn't be surprised. They're the most proactive league in the country. And as much as I can say, um, you know, hey, you guys are still uh, in this bubble, and you don't realize the pain that's going on around you. They have TV. They have you know. They know the deal when they're in there. Um, I was going to, I was going to jump on to the, the, the playoff scenario. I, if you, if you'd like to talk basketball now or not, I'm going to, before we go there quickly, um, I, I just feel like as two, you know, white guys, almost middle-aged, me, middle-aged, you very close to being middle-aged, um, I, I will say this, that you, I feel like you've been on the right side of history about a lot of things. And obviously that's a personal view but I just feel like we get it and we try to ask the right questions and we try to be um, sensitive. And the fact that even small things like you putting Black Lives Matter um, as your Twitter uh, art, I think that's a big thing because it lets people know they matter. Do you, um, are you welcoming this uh, really powerful surge of social conscience that's happening with the jerseys and everything else? Is it something that, Makes you proud to be part of the NBA? Um, And and do you have any reservations about it whatsoever?
0: I mean, listen, my politics being what they are, and they're pretty clear from my Twitter feed, um, clearly I will have no issue whatsoever with the NBA fully embracing Black Lives Matter, the NBA fully embracing activism by its players, the NBA actively participating in it itself, both with programs that it has introduced, putting Black Lives Matter on the court, allowing or negotiating with the union, I should say, on messaging, on their jerseys. Everything that the league has done to em- embrace um, this movement, help amplify the movement, support its players, because this is a league of 75 to 80% black players. All of that, I, like, I, there's, of, of course, I agree uh, policy-wise that this is what the NBA uh, should do, and I, 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 you know, I applaud it. Um, There's financial commitments they've made as well. Those are important. There are financial commitments individual teams have made. Those are important. I think you know, you know, it's none of us should be so naive or swept up in this moment as to say, well, okay, great, because more people marched in the last couple months than in any other moment in, in certainly yours and my lifetimes, because more the polls are showing more support for Black Lives Matter in general than six months ago, or certainly five or six years ago. Uh, all these things are good signs. I don't think any of us should be naive enough to think that, that this means we, we've turned the corner and these systemic issues that have, this country has been dealing with for 400 years are suddenly going to vanish. Um, and I think people who are older than you and I, including our, our former Times colleague, Bill Roden, who I had on my podcast earlier this week, um, still look at this with you know some 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 caution or maybe even some some skepticism because as bill said like i 've seen this before, and you know it 's you know it it is you know obvious statement here it's up to white america to fix these things because it's white america that created the systemic problems that we are that we are confronting and so when enough white people have decided to to join the movement and to to be out in the streets marching and to answer a poll question with the correct uh, uh you know answer about yes we need to tackle these things yes these things are real yes we have to do something about it there's still the other steps that need to be taken to actually change policy and change laws and, and just change the way we operate uh, as a country. And so um, I, I understand the cynicism from somebody li- like our, our former colleague, Bill Roden, who, you know, uh, older than us, uh, you know, black uh, and, and, and has seen all of these things and has spoken on all these things and has written about all these sure. things, has been trying to be somebody who educates us on these things, and he has seen it and, and been disappointed many times before, and as many people in the black community have, and so it is still up to people who look like you and me, Mike, to, to make sure that the moment doesn't get lost or that this bogs down or that we, yeah. lose, that we lose the momentum.
1: I get that. I, I will say that this, this is why this feels different this time. It's because corporations in America, and shoot, that runs from Nike to the NFL to FedEx, everybody else. They realize that their next, their their next customers, their consumers, are, are young people who get it, and I think that they put their finger in the air and realize which way the economic wind is blowing. And all of a sudden, um, when you go woke, you don't go broke anymore. And <laughs> and my only problem with the NBA, for that matter, is like you watch you walk that tight tight line that that, that uh, tightrope between. Are you profiting off this stuff or, you know, are you selling yeah. it so much that it becomes it becomes part so of your brand and that I, that's the only thing I would worry about if I were I, the NBA. Well, you know, like, the, like yeah. don't become – I know they just auctioned off these jerseys for charity um, that the players were wearing the first couple of weeks. I just think that that's um, – you walk a very tight – road, you walk a very thin line between um, exploitation and yes. being part of the movement.
0: No, and, and listen, the only way we know whether or not it's genuine or just for PR purposes or pandering purposes or, or trying to just give the appearance of, of being on the right side of history, the only way we know for sure is if they follow through with financial commitments and with a consistent message beyond this, right? Yeah. If, if, you're, uh, if, if you own an NBA team and you're saying, I support Black Lives Matter, I support my players, and I support this moment and everything else, and then you turn around and donate thousands or tens of thousands to Donald Trump, then you have undercut the movement that you say you support. And it's clear that you don't, you don't actually care. You don't actually stand on the right side of history, because this president is opposed to everything that, that, that this movement is trying to accomplish. Um, so you know that that's how you know but i also also say this he's the- done by the way i
1: don't <laughs> care i know i know bruce and eric and all the good people we know don't like us being political but he's done he, he, he should start literally calling the movers telling melania to, to start packing boxes because uh, he's got like 87 days left his mortgage he's defaulted on his four-year mortgage and it's <laughs> over I'm just tired of him. I really Less am. It's not even. Mm-hmm. And I, if I would say that, if I were right, right you know, right of uh, well, I wouldn't be one of these right wing wackos that vote for him. But but there's a lot of moderate Republicans that are like this guy's a joke. And you know, he's been he's, he's inserted himself so deeply into the uh, culture of sports and, and and used it for the culture wars. I'm like, I'm done already. But anyway, I don't want to. Yeah. I
0: mean, I don't want to completely derail uh, this. Although it's my fault for introducing his name in the first place, but I will just <laughs> so. But but to, uh, so, let me just wrap up this thought though on corporate America yeah. and NBA teams and NBA owners yeah. and anything else. It's important for people to be on the record, and if, even if you want to look at it cynically and say, "I yeah. think that they're doing this. I think that this company or this team or this whoever did this just because they see the momentum and they don't want you. afraid of being on the wrong side, or they're doing it just for PR purposes. That's fine." I'm almost okay with that. I am okay with that because you're on the we're record. you are still now. doing it. Well, you're yeah. you're you're on the record now. First right. of all, it pushes the it pushes the conversation and what the new normal is, right? So, if six years ago, when Black Lives Matter as a as a phrase became uh, entered the lexicon, and a lot of people were treating it as this polarizing, crazy, you know, thought, like, what do you mean Black Lives Matter? Oh, White Lives Matter? All Lives Matter? All this bullshit that came after yeah. it. If people six years later are now, if the middle has moved to where, where more people embrace that and understand what it means and what it doesn't mean than not, then we have moved the conversation and we have, we have made some sort of progress even rhetorically because the new normal is yes, everybody agrees on this premise or most, mm. you know, it's semi-intelligent to intelligent people agree on this. And so mm. it's important to move the conversation forward and for more people to buy into it. And when people, even cynically uh, put out a statement, all right, fine, you're on the record now. And so six months from now, when it's time to, you know, donate to a cause or whether it's time to change something programmatically or policy-wise, whatever, then you can say, listen, you said this, we've got you on the record, back it up. And so even if people want to view the statements cynically, I still think that they matter. Uh, I'm
1: with you. Um, let, let's quickly turn to basketball because yeah. we could we could uh, be enmeshed in the political scene for a while. The I, I'm I've just gotten used to the optics of watching nobody around <laughs> the court, um, no fans, and like these people keep popping up on the virtual screen. It reminds me of I'm old enough to remember like the shooting galleries we had as kids at the video, and you'd shoot the guy that popped up. That's what I feel like at at home but i finally got into the i finally just concentrated on the basketball and while the defense has been less than uh, savvy man the offense is awesome and when you watch somebody like Damian Lillard just go off and uh, the Blazers and you know and and skinny Carmelo like it, to me it, it you know there's a part of me that's when i say we don't need sports right now we just want them I need that hoop. I need that hoop junkiness in me. I don't know. I don't know where you are on that and whether you've been blown away by some of the performances.
0: Um, it's been fun. It has been, yeah. I will say this, I, you know, before the receding games began, I, I said many times on my podcast, on other people's shows, uh, these are glorified exhibition games. These are, these are there right. just so that the, the top teams can get themselves back in gear before the playoffs. And Yes, they counted the standings, and yes, the standings were still subject to change a little bit. But ah, eh, they're glorified exhibitions. I stand by that on some level, in that they really were there. the The, the playoff standings aren't changing much, right? There's only one new team that will enter the the, the field possibly, and that's uh, you know in the West, the eighth seed is still in flux, and that's actually been exciting. So I don't dismiss that at all. But 15 of the 16 teams were very well settled. Um, all that said, yeah. If there- were, even if they were exhibitions, they were really well-played exhibitions. And, yeah, fouls are up and free throws are up and defense is lagging a little bit. But the intensity level, even without fans, in the, the uh, uh, skill level and the precision that was still there despite four and a half months off with these teams not spending any time around each other, some guys not even having baskets to shoot at, much oh. less being able to practice with your team and get a rhythm, Like they've been really freaking good. And so the, I think the quality of play has far exceeded what I anticipated – um, and kudos to the players and and the coaches for you know basically snapping right back to it. Like you you wouldn't really know if you if you had turned off the TV on March 11th and turned it back on, other than the weird background and the lack of fans, that anything had changed.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I also feel like you know whether you could play competitively in anything or not, there is something uh, I don't know uh, pure about. Um, no fans around. It's almost as if you're you know you're playing the last game at dusk at the park, and you're trying things that you wouldn't normally try, and you don't have any pressure um, the, the the normal pressure that you would have with uh, with everybody yelling and the and the place going nuts. And you know you, you realize you probably realize you're being filmed, but at no point are you thinking, "No, I'm not going to shoot this three. This is too big a moment here." Like, they, they they don't. I mean. Some of the passes that, uh, that Nikola Jokic is threading through the little needles, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by Dame Litter. Um, LeBron looks like he's in mid-season form. Um, I, look, you, I think, I, if I recall right, you predicted the Clippers to win it all um, way back when. I don't know. It might have been in February. It might have been way before then. But you play, I think the Mavericks could give them all they could handle in the first round. I really think so.
0: I think um, I think everything that we thought we knew in October, or even on March 11th, has to be kind of thrown out to an extent. I mean, I always say, like, you know, look, it's the NBA. Talent wins, and that's like a 99.9% certainty, right? The team with the best talent wins. We don't have yeah. – this is not a league of, of many upsets over the decades. This is not a league where you're shocked by who won the championship, <laughs> the occasional 2004 Pistons or something, but you, you don't – you, it's rare that you don't see something coming. But right. this is different. This is different because the Lakers, who are the top seed in the West, don't have Avery Bradley and have a thin backcourt and yeah. for the moment don't have Rondo and are going to be facing potentially a Portland team that has one of the best backcourts in the league and Dame Lillard, who's one of the best guards in the league and has just been wrecking people. And yes. has been like so – could could the and, and no home court advantage could the could the lakers lose could we see the the rare 8 versus 1 upset because there is no home court advantage there is no travel and the lakers biggest weakness is where the Blazers biggest strength is if it if that is in fact the matchup like yeah that's no. on the table now no that will not happen but I will bet my I will it's bet my, table Mike
1: I, you say it's on the table Howard I will bet my mortgage against that no you because won't. because that would be foolish because David Stern will call from the heavens and ensure that <laughs> LeBron is not mo- knocked out in the first round damn it don't 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 don't
0: start with the conspiracy theory stuff Alex Jones <laughs> um Look, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it could happen. Who knows? And, it, no, and it's, look, yeah. the, no, so the, you, you brought Clippers' Mavs, right? Yeah. The Clippers, Montrezl Harrell is back in the bubble now. He'll, you know, like they've been they've been really uh, uh, just kind of all over the map since this began, but they were missing Pat Beverly. They were missing Lou Williams. Were missing Montrezl Harrell. The Clippers at Wen Hole, you could argue who has the best one-two punch, yeah. right? But three through eight, three through nine, three through 12, whatever, the Clippers have almost everybody else, including the Lakers, beat in terms of their depth, but Clippers versus Mavericks and Montrez Harrell is giving up like a foot to Chris Stapp's Porzingis and Luca is amazing. But listen, Luca now has to deal with a rotation of Pat Beverly, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George all defending him in the course of a game, not to mention, you know, the, 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 the Rodney Magruder's and and whoever else to Green, whoever they're going to throw at him there. He, this is going to be something that Luca's never seen before. He's never been in the NBA playoffs and he's phenomenal, and he doesn't have to deal with the, the road stuff and all that, but he will have to deal with having an entire defense schemed against him oh, for a yeah. rest of seven series. Doc is great. That team is stacked. Um, I, that is not the upset I'd be looking for. But okay. Portland versus Lakers, it's you on know, the table.
1: You know, I, you know what I said that some people might be looking for? 76ers <laughs> over Celtics. Your thoughts?
0: No. Okay, um, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, the Sixers are just too weird. I, I'm yeah, like, yeah, you're right. That is not a team I would bet.
1: There's no Ben Simmons. Who knows when Joel Embiid is going to come up with another hamstring pull. You just don't know what they're going to do. Um, look, I, I'm going I'm to say right off the bat that I believe Milwaukee and the Lakers are going to end up in, in the championship. Do you, well, you, you've already picked the Clippers. Who do, you, who, do, who do you see matching up for the title?
0: I mean, look, um, I've said like the, the, the favorites, as they stood on March 11th, should probably still be the favorites now because they got there because of their talent, right? Bucks, Clippers, Lakers, it's probably still that conversation. But because there is no home court advantage, because yeah. we still don't know what these next weeks will bring for these teams – I, I think things are in flux. I still think it's one of the two L.A. teams, and I, I would be shocked if it's not. I will not be shocked if it's not the Bucs, though, because the their, their record implies that they are you know laps ahead of everybody in the East. I don't think they're laps ahead. I think Toronto, at their best, could beat the Bucs. I think the the Celtics, at their best, could beat the Bucs. I think the Miami Heat, while I wouldn't predict a victory, a, a series victory over the Bucs, the Heat – are so great defensively when they're locked in. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are one of the best one-two punches, big, small, defensively in the league and very versatile. They're pesky as hell. Um, it's a young team. So, you know, with, with, with Hero and Nun and Adebayo, these guys who don't really have that kind of experience. But if there's no home crowd and there isn't, then the things we talk about with youth not winning in the NBA in the playoffs – well, a lot of that's usually about like they're not used to that environment. Well, the, the, the basketball intensity might be there, but the environment won't be. So maybe that's irrelevant. Like I, you know, again, I'm not going to predict the Bucks are going to miss the finals, but I don't think it's the the mortal lock that people have portrayed it to be. I think that the East is really good, and I think those teams have the ability to knock them off.
1: Alright, um, we've got a couple minutes left and I feel like we just need to, I was going to do this lightning round thing and to me it would just be, uh, I don't know, it'd be like, you know, the, the, the blow dried nothings on TV trying to have brainless chit chat before the weather guy. I don't think it's worth it. I think we just need, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the last time you were on here, we spoke about Kobe Bryant, who you knew, and you wrote one of the great pieces, um, uh, and you really opened yourself up um, and talked about him in ways that were. By the end of it, you'd be if you weren't tearful, you didn't know him, or you did, you had never met him. Um, I think that um, with David Stern, Kobe Bryant, David Stern's death, Kobe Bryant's death, they seem like eons ago, and since the pandemic and and just this has got to be not just for society but it's it's with everything that's happened in the nba this year it's it's got to be it's 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 just surreal i still can't believe you and i um aren't allowed to go to an arena uh unless there's certain protocols i mean it's it's crazy um are we ever i mean are we ever going to be the same or would always be some residue of what happened this year that that funnels into how we look at the league and how we, how we cover it from going on, going forward.
0: Um, It's a, it's a great question. I don't, you know, I, if there's one thing that 2020 has taught us, it's that we can't predict beyond five minutes from now, you know, like we, there's nothing that's happened this year that we could have anticipated. And I guess you could say that, uh, you know, every year in the world things happen. Okay. Whatever. Like we're off the charts, man, nothing in your lifetime or mine. Yeah has looked like this. And I I just think that when it comes to the NBA and how we perceive it and and whether we'll feel some sense of normalcy in the near future, look, uh, eventually there will be a vaccine. Eventually there will be treatment for COVID-19 that is effective. And eventually, everybody's lives will go back to normal. We won't need to wear masks in public. NBA arenas will be open, not just for games, but for fans. But I don't know when that will be. And nobody can tell you that. Nobody can possibly know when we will be back in, a, in an NBA arena with 20,000 screaming fans, everybody moving around freely, us being able to go in the locker room pregame and postgame and chit-chat yeah. with guys, uh, schmooze with, with scouts and GMs on the court before the game, all of the stuff that, 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 that our, our lives, our professional lives uh, are familiar to us. Um, I look forward to those routines <laughs> returning, Mike. But they're not happening this calendar year. I don't know at what point next calendar year they might happen. Um, but eventually it'll be there and then we will uh, you know we'll, we'll, we'll be doing this podcast you know you'll have me back in 2022 or 2024 or whatever we'll be going man remember how weird that was back in in 2020 <laughs> I'm so glad we, we just we don't have to talk about like all these we, other weird factors about bubbles and things and whatever we can just talk about the basketball and whether or not you know whether or not LeBron can win his seventh championship or something
1: <laughs> oh man you're from your mouth to God's ears Thank you, sir. You've been great. As usual, um, we've both come a long way from covering football, high school football in the foothills of Grass Valley. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always good to reconnect with you. And you uh, yeah, thanks, brother. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike.
0: That was dope.
1: <laughs> okay, people, it's time to wrap this up. Thanks to my guest, Howard Beck of Bleacher Report for his time and wisdom. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Tom Phillip. Welcome to the program. Please check out other Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams has a new show every Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin featured veteran hoop journalist Steve Bollpet, who has covered the Celtics since the Larry Bird years. Monica McNutt and King McClure are here each Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. And of course, B.J. Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. Their most recent guest was Tim Legler of ESPN. And I'm back next Monday with a brand new edition of the Mike Y. Show from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Listen up, friends. We're not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic. So please keep our medical professionals and essential workers in your thoughts. They're putting it all on the line for us, and they're truly today's superheroes. Continue to maintain social distancing, wash your hands, and wear that mask to protect yourself and others. And please keep working for social justice with our fellow citizens of all races and religions. We're striving for a more inclusive society. If you like the Mike Wise Show, please subscribe, rate us, review us. Leave a five-star rating. It'd mean a lot, and I'll be back next week. We'll be talking balloons. See you then. Peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called the Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of pure hoops media.